I really just abandoned the version of the story I thought I knew. My dad, being a medical doctor, had a head full of understanding of medicine and, and health from that perspective. Yet, living the process and living the experience, I found it to be ineffective for many reasons. And more than anything else, I think the medical professionals lacked the compassion to understand and deal with people on a human level. That was the biggest challenge for me. That there was never that connection, so I said I really don't understand this, and I abandoned that whole reality. And that birthed for me, you know, the deep desire to share this information with my learnings, because I realized at that point that not many people had understood this, and the world was still a bit naive as regards to the power of natural medicine and the power of traditional ancient protocols and remedies that had been working for thousands of years, and we somehow gave our power away to corporations that we believed knew more than what we did. So I saw there was a detachment of, there was a huge detachment between people and their bodies. Like they didn't actually have an understanding of how they worked. And that was startling for me because myself, I wasn't aware of it. And the more I came to realize how simple some of it is and how easy it is to manage and mitigate crisis and risk, I became an advocate for this way of life. Having four kids now, after all that journey of potentially not having a child and the cervix being broken and whatnot. We ended up having four kids, <laughs> all of which are, thank God, healthy, uh, happy and, and fit, and uh, have never seen a medical practitioner, have never had the need for any medical intervention, any antibiotics or any other type of medical uh, treatment. The more and more time went on, the more and more convicted I became in this way of life because you're living it now as opposed to trying to sell a way of life, right? You are the way of life. Shad Muhammad is a passionate health and wellness advocate committed to empowering individuals to take control of their lives through a deeper understanding of their own unique bodies and minds. Shad's personal journey of self-discovery has led him to explore the inner workings of the human body and the natural world around us. And he firmly believes that this knowledge is the key to unlocking our true potential. Drawing upon ancient teachings and the wisdom of nature, Shad has developed a unique perspective on health and wellness that emphasizes the importance of understanding our own bodies and minds in order to achieve balance and harmony in our lives. He believes that by tapping into the power of plant medicines and other natural remedies, we can unlock our true potential and achieve a level of health and wellness that is truly transformative. I know that at almost two hours, this is a very long episode. It is an in-depth conversation, but I really encourage you to stick with it. Listen over the course of a couple of days, because these are the types of people that we need right now in the world. People that are willing to look at the broader perspective of what truly creates holistic health in all areas, not just physical, but mental, emotional, and spiritual as well. The unfortunate truth of today is that most people just want to take a quick fix, swallow a pill, and hope that everything will be better, but that is not how the human body and mind functions. And it is through these deeper practices and a commitment to our own health and well-being that we can truly unlock our greatest potential. So yes, it's a longer conversation, but to gain real, robust health, joy, and purpose in life, is also a longer conversation. It's never a quick fix. It's never just one thing. So I encourage you to dive into this conversation with an open mind and an open heart. 
Awesome. Love Thanks so much for being topic. here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, why don't you start by telling us exactly what it is that you do? I work really in, in as a counselor mainly, right? That's what I would call myself at the end of the day is someone who creates a safe space for someone to share both ways. Um, so that's at the core of what I do. How I express that work is through a series of different experiences and learnings that I've taken from, you know, the ancient, uh, the ancient ways and the ancient people, um, the tribal people, and kept very much on the ground around medicines that come from the earth, right? So really plant-based and natural-based systems as opposed to anything that con contravenes that natural flow. And I think how I arrived there was more important than the work I do because that defined the work I did, right? Mm -hmm. So it started out as um, a falling pregnant many moons back and uh, encountering some challenges in that in that journey where the doctor said that there was a, a problem with the cervix and long story short, child was born prematurely survived for three days and then passed and traumatic um, so for a woman, of course, especially more so than for the man because they're still carrying that living organism and they're still connected to it and whatever. So emotionally, it was, it was a really big thing to go through. And then post that, the journey really started because the labels people put on, 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 on patients, let's call it, uh, are based on what they think they know, as opposed to what's actually really going on. So if you're showing symptoms A, Y, A, B, C, they put you into to that box and that's how that box gets treated. So there's not enough dynamicism in, in, in the process of healing, in my opinion. Mm. And um, the journey onwards, like trying to evaluate what happened and going and interviewing other practitioners and asking them what, what was the story. And everybody seemed to have a, a general agreement of the protocols they would do for for people in our in our situation um in that year my mom had her cancer had had returned the year before she had done some treatments uh conventional treatments i should say and uh, the year that followed her cancer returned and there was a huge degrading of her body during that year and about a year after my child passed, she passed. So within that one year, I really just abandoned the version of the story I thought I knew. My dad, being a medical doctor, had a head full of understanding of, of, of medicine and, 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 and health from that perspective. Yet, living the process and living the experience, I found it to be ineffective for many reasons. And more than anything else, I think the medical professionals lacked the compassion to understand and deal with people on a human level. That was the biggest challenge for me, mm -hmm. that there was never that connection. So I said, I really don't understand this. And I abandoned that whole reality and um, surrendered to the nothingness. And over time, um, I came to learn about things that you could be used naturally to treat conditions and started doing that for my mom at that stage because it was in that year um, of, of my learning and started, you know, changing the protocols for a stage four terminal 
terminally ill patient, um, what could we use and what could we do to make her journey more comfortable and more easier uh, and not give her medications that could potentially cause more side effects than positive uh, results. And that birthed for me, you know, the deep desire to, to share this information with my learnings because I realized at that point that not many people have understood this and the world was still a bit naive as regards to the power of natural medicine and the power of traditional ancient uh, protocols and remedies that had been working for thousands of years. And we somehow gave our power away to corporations that we believed knew more than what we did. And I quickly came to realize that as an owner of a body, like you would uh, be the owner of a car or owner of a phone, you would spend time on making sure that that device works all the time. If the tires blow, you would not be able to drive. But if your knees are giving you trouble, you don't see your body in the same way as you would any other thing that you owned. So I saw there was a detachment of, there was a huge detachment between people and their bodies. Like they didn't actually have an understanding of how they worked. And that was startling for me because myself, I wasn't aware of it. And the more I came to realize how simple some of it is and how easy it is to manage and mitigate crisis and risk, I became an advocate for this way of life. Having four kids now, after all that journey of potentially not having a child and the cervix being broken and whatnot, we ended up having four kids, <laughs> all of which are, thank God, healthy, uh, happy and, and fit. And uh, have never seen a medical practitioner, have never had the need for any medical intervention, any antibiotics, or any other type of medical uh, treatment. Um, and I think the more and more time went on, the more and more convicted I became in this way of life because you're living it now as opposed to trying to sell a way of life, right? You are that way of life. So once it started works for you, it's really obvious that people would want to experience that same for themselves. And that's how it started. So it didn't start as a business. It didn't start as a, as a thing I intended to do with my life. Um, I had a very deeply entrenched business in technology at the time and had a really big company servicing many clients. And it just nothing felt more important to me than this journey. So I had to abandon everything, including my business and my entire life for a few years. And until I came back to realize what's important and what can we do about the things that we're experiencing? It's all well and great to read a, a book, a philosophical book, a spiritual book, and it makes you feel good. But what changes can you make in the short term that it can affect your entire organism, can affect your mind, your body, and your soul? What is it that, that we can do for ourselves that will allow us the freedom from the fear of sickness and ill health, especially as parents? Parents have an innate trigger when it comes to their children and their safety and well-being and their health. And the fear usually drives parents to make decisions that potentially they wouldn't make because yeah. of the unknown, right? We didn't know what the problem is. So that's the, that's the condition. That's the disease, in my opinion, is the uncertainty. It's that unknowing of what's going on. And therefore, the mind's exaggerated expression of what you think it could be and how bad it is as opposed to this is actually what it is and this is how it could be treated or, or, or mitigated from, 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 
from getting worse. Of course, I had many teachers along the way, right? It was, it was many books and many teachers, and all had a very unique way of expressing their healing gifts. And that's when I started realizing the individual nature or our individual natures is that everybody can be a writer, everybody can be a doctor, everybody can be a mechanic, but it's how you do it that makes it yours. You know, it's your expression of the, of the act that defines who you are in it as opposed to just the act. And I think the world has woken up to that now. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, you had like content writers that just wrote content. Now you have content writers based on industries, based on different type of writing styles, different type of content pieces or preferences. So nowadays we're able to be more specific. And it goes the same with medicine. You know, nowadays we can say, based on a profile that you may be or that you may have, um, you know, there's certain protocols and treatments that would be more appropriate for this type of persona as opposed to this type of persona. So it really gave birth to that personalization of the wellness space, which for me was the most important because you have to understand each person one-on-one, form a trust relationship in order for there to be any potential of healing. Because what you need to heal first is the fear Mm. that you are in a safe space and the world's not going to end and you're not going to lose anything. Let's just evaluate where we are. And with that, I'll speak clearly to the point of numbers, right? And numbers are are the way I, I, I... interpret the world so after many years of trying to understand god through religion and the world through god and the world through books and teachers and schools i quickly came to realize that there is no book that will ever write your story because each one of us are totally unique in our expression Mm -hmm. and ultimately we all know that and that's our earnest desire is to prove that And that's why everybody wants to go viral. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be known. It's not just for the fame or for the glory or for the money all the time. It's really about saying that I'm unique and I've been found and people see me. Mm. That's the desire. So a beautiful way of reframing that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's simple because when we're born, we are given a construct. We're given a worldview. This is how we see the world. And it takes a breaking situation or a really hectic decision on the individual's part to break away from what they used to, mm. you know, and um, seeing the world through one lens, I think was the most crippling part of my work, my life is that I didn't have the contextual view on how something like this could be seen from multiple perspectives. And this is what AI is proving now is that they've got a whole bunch of data punched into an engine. You ask the question and it's leveraging a lot more data than just an individual based on their level of study or experience. So your, your level of consciousness is expanding because you are able to leverage more data sets, more reference points. So as a child, always been really obsessed with numbers. Uh, thought for a long time when I was younger that I may have a condition of some sort of something happening with me. Um, but as I grew older, I started realizing that there were others like me in the world and there were many published books at the time, um, you know, like different practices or whether it be numerology or whether it be astrology or even astronomy for that, for that matter, like the effects of the whole universe on our person and how we affect the whole. Like, what is it about? 
And the thing that plagued my consciousness the most was I do not believe that the creator would leave us here unattended. Like, I don't believe that. Okay. Like, whoever the creator may be would not leave creation that was obviously perfectly designed in an ungoverned reality. It, it doesn't make sense. So I said, there has to be an algorithm. There has to be a way for us to visualize things in a different way. And Nikola Tesla's works started becoming popular when I was doing my research. And Nikola Tesla was a, was a really great human being, and I'm sure you know him, and many do know of his works. But the, the, the back end to his greatness, and to all that he created, came from an under, intrinsic understanding of numbers, mm. where they used, or he used, or created a system called vortex mathematics. And the way you interpret numbers is very different. And the way you see the world then is very different. And he was able to create free energy from configuring a coil using that special configuration of numbers. So I said, wait, you know, if it has that power in, in numbers uh, for, for, for electricity or things like that, practical things, what else can it be used for? And then not too long after I found about the Enneagram and the Enneagram is built on that mathematical principles or that mathematical understanding. And the deeper I went into it, I met people locally and abroad who all had a different expression using numbers. I uh, went to India a few times to understand how the birth chart works because it's such a fundamental part of the Indian culture. And not just Muslim and not just Hindu, but pretty much India at large. Like a lot of people wouldn't get married without there being a match of the birth chart. And I said, well, what is the birth oh, chart wow. about? And then at the end of the day, it all boils down to flow right it all boils down to synchronicity and if the chart shows that there's going to be a clash because personas clash because you've got two corresponding planets whatever it is then don't do it but you have a you have a little bit of an awareness before you enter that journey whereas a lot of us in the western world we just wing it well you look cool let's get mad boom uh, three years later oh my god crisis right so <laughs> but but there must be a way for us to determine what this path is going to look like before we make this decision. And the ancient cultures had this method and have this method. But still, it was complicated for the Western world or the Western mind. It was very complicated because it was very lengthy numerology and birth charts. And it was like a lot of real depth that you had to apply and a lot of reading. And I said, well, it's just not practical. You know, it's amazing, but it's not practical to the, to the average person who's in a hurry and is on the go who is sick. So how do you simplify this? This, this teaching and how do we integrate this into everything that we do um, and I found a, a local author um, South African author by the name of Douglas Forbes and he wrote a book called The Human Pin Code mm -hmm. and um, after reading it I was blown away primarily because it was it worked and when I say it worked in numbers the beautiful part about it is that you can prove things. So if the systems are the same and they're all there to tell the same truth, then numer num numerically they will all make sense and match up. Mm -hmm. Whether it be the number of the planet, whether it be, you know, they're all that, there's a, there's a part. And the ancient minds knew that they built a calendar, a three-wheel calendar that kind of gave that depth to the importance of a day. And each day had an energy with it, right? So it wasn't just some new age physics talk, mm -hmm. but more of a combination of the understanding of science and physics, the understanding of the intrinsic energy a number carries, and actually what does that translate to into the modern world? Having, 
having a, a um, ancestry that went into Ethiopia, I followed the path to find my, my, my ancestors, of course. And along that journey came across the church of, uh, in, in, in the first church that was built in, in uh, Ethiopia. And at that time, it was where all the world churches congregated and there was one unified doctrine on the belief of what Christ's message was on earth. Mm-hmm. And at a very specific point in time, that rule and law was changed, in, in, in fact, in history by a group known as the Chaldeans, who were the first, first noted numerologists. So the first real breakaway from the religious side was a numerological act, was an, was a, was an act based on configurations of bits and why this is the most important and powerful symbol in our universe. There's a mathematical reason why this is the case and what the Trinity really truly represented and what, why was that so powerful in itself. Um, so having had all of this context now back end saying that it's not just my imagination there were many schools of thought around this numbers and what they represented and many practical proofs read the book it was only after maybe a year of being in a in a in my physical practice in in a clinic in a, in a clinic we opened a couple of years back where I met a mother who brought in a three-month-old child who was paralyzed, and I was silenced. I couldn't talk, I couldn't speak, and I was just numb completely because of this emotion this mother was expressing about her child and what journey she had been on. And I asked myself, there's no way I can help you. There's nothing I can do. I thought that's what I felt. And I said, I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to waste their time. But how can I give them anything that at least gives them a little bit of peace at a minimum? You can't necessarily change a condition, but what can you do to offer something that makes them feel a little bit more understanding of what's happening? And it was in that session that I got a message to use the code for the first time in practice. Mm. And when I told the mother about herself and about her journey and about her child's journey, she cried again, but she didn't cry for the same reason she cried when she walked in. Mm. And she thanked me for, for giving her the depth of understanding that allowed her to accept something because the journey needs to be closed, right? The door, the chapters need to be closed. And if there's too many open, your mind gets anxious. So closure is really important, but oftentimes we can't just get that closure because we don't understand why something happened. So by evaluating our our own personal number frequency, we get to see ourselves in context for the first time. Who are we? Why do we behave like this? Why do we have that trigger? Why do we have these weaknesses? And what are our strengths? And what is the best position for us to act from in order to achieve what we're trying to achieve? Because the way that the the numbers are broken up is that each of the eight positions, um, each of the eight numbers represent a position in in our space in this world. And they're not all the same. So it's really important to know who you are in different spaces and just the understanding and awareness of that allows you to move into the spaces where you would have a better response of what you're trying to achieve. And also on the day, which are the better days for you to do things, which are the days for you to avoid and why and trying to, and that gets you into an alignment. And I really feel that's ultimately what the Mayan calendar was about because I followed that for a long time. Mm. And every day they gave you a message for the day. This is a, this energy day. Or this is a, this energy day, right? 
So there was no difference in even the in the birth charts, the same thing. Like this is a day for this planet is in this configuration, so be careful of falling in love or being naive or whatever the, the message for that time may be. So it's no different to that. It's just a very quick view uh, without any cultural, religious, or human bias. And numbers, therefore, allow the individual, if it resonates with them, is automatically a trust relationship because I'm not bringing in anything that's outside of what you actually are. I'm not bringing in a religious aspect or a cultural aspect or any of these type of protocols or weird things that may scare people. Everybody understands maths. Mm. And the brain understands numbers. For example, the number seven. You'll see number seven was always classed as the lucky number seven. Why? Right? When you when Muslim people go for pilgrimage, you walk seven times anti-clockwise around the Kaaba. Why? What's the reason for these mathematical formulas throughout all of the religious books? The 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 the, uh, the Bible has a book of numbers, the Quran is laced with numbers, it's from the mm-hmm. how many name numbers how many names god had nine when you wash your hands three times when you like there's a reason in all of the the hindu culture say the the jewish culture was was built upon the kabbalah the kabbalah was all built upon numbers so if you look at it what's lacking between where we are and where we came from was this metric of understanding what numbers mean that was removed from our from our database and the minute you reintegrate that numbers back into your space, you start reading everything different. Everything means something very different to you because you, for the first time, have a different reference point that you never had before. And it's unbiased. So I'll pause there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. But uh, what you were just saying now makes me think of the saying that mathematics is the language of the universe. Yeah. And what I think is really beautiful about this is like when you start talking about things like uh, numerology, birth charts, Enneagram, astrology. People, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, whatever. That's like very woo woo. You know, it's just fantasy. There's nothing real about it. But, you know, the studies that are being done today into quantum physics start to give us a better understanding of how this stuff actually works. Because, you know, if you look at quantum entanglements, then it makes sense that. You, your time of birth, like the moment that you came into this world, was affected by the position of the planets. And that's what Einstein said as well. So Einstein's theories about spatial relativity were that mass is affected by the mass of another object. Mm -hmm. So the weight of Earth would change relative to the closeness or not closeness of planets in near nearby it would affect the mass so there isn't this effect that the planets have on each other on ourselves on the water and we are water so that's kind of like the link i think that that i found that's something that i I always love to point out to people when they when they think that you're just being like weird and woo-woo because you talk about the moon or the phase of the moon or how the moon affects you and then i ask them but do you accept that the moon creates the tides like that's what moves the tides of the oceans, which are ginormous. No, yes, of course, we know that it's scientific. Well, then why would you think any differently of your own body, which is 70% water? Because there is no connection to their body. 
Yeah, exactly. They don't have a relationship with their body. Yeah. So yeah, so the, the starting point really is about numbers and and giving that individual overview insight up to up to themselves creates a really big breathing space. It gives that individual so much space after that first few minutes that whatever comes thereafter, then the biological discussion comes, how the body works, your gut, the detox, whatever your condition may be, you discuss that. But having that discussion after the fact gives the individual a lot of hope for some reason because they now understand themselves. Yes. So they're no longer with their eyes closed. They're actually wide awake now. and They're like not scared anymore because they know what's going on, what could be the potential cause of this condition. And the more you go down the journey of removing the potential causes, the more excited one would get because you feel better at every point of the way, like you've been doing in your video, sharing your story about your healing journey. And as you remove things and as you let go of things, you started being healthier, happier, lighter, fitter. And I think that's really as simple as it is, right? The part I think that that allowed the regression. So oftentimes you'd get people that be motivated, full of hope, make the change, do the cleanse, feel good. But somehow in the future, they relapse back to their old selves. And eventually at one point I got really, what's the word, disappointed and I lost a little bit of hope in the, in the fact that we could actually end the suffering. Because that was my dream. It was like knowing all of this, you can mitigate a lot of suffering, a lot of expensive drugs and a lot of invasive treatments. But yet the people kept on going back and going back and going back. And I said, well, there must be a reason. There was two reasons. One was out of fear of losing work and money. So you couldn't take the space out of your life to heal yourself. There wasn't that space in your business. Mm -hmm. And number two, your mind without proper surrender and meditation and, and working on it will never just accept a new way of life. There has to be some type of protocol or process that allows adaptation because we are not adaptable enough as a, as a nation. Our biggest curse and our biggest risk as humanity is the inability to be adaptable. COVID taught us that, right? And it taught us that adaptability is a key to survival. Mm. So how do we adapt? How do we allow our minds to adapt to whatever we believe in that moment, whatever we've understood and surrendered to, right? And I'll speak about the, the, the plant mushrooms, psilocybin. It's been making its rounds all across everywhere recently. And obviously well known for treating conditions like anxiety and depression and whatever it may be and really good results and good responses worldwide. And I wanted to understand why does it do that? How can one little plant give you that much happiness and freedom? What does it do that it causes that result? And after checking it out in quite a lot of detail, I summarized it to this, is that our mind is used to going through the main highway. That's the highway that's always been there. That's the highway that everybody uses to go to wherever they're going. Even if you have to go from here to here, it's less to go there first and then go there. So the journey to the destination was always longer, riskier, because you had to go through the path where 
both the good and the bad and the ugly are. Regression into your inner self, emotional healing meant you had to cross that bridge. Booby trapped with triggers emotionally and otherwise. So what this plant does, it seems to deactivate the one path and make space for paths. And every time you have a thought or an action has to be done, your mind still knows it has to perform that, but it no longer has to go through the mainstream. It now can go on the periphery. And over time, those neural pathways become enforced. And not too long after that, you've got a new neural net, a new neural network that's now, you don't even realize that there's been a shift yet. It takes some time for the realization that I've actually shifted to come out. But you, what you will notice in the short term is certain things are changing in your daily. The, the sense of attachment falls away. Totally. There's no attachment to a disease, a condition, a child, a mother, a father, a job. Or, it, that fear seems to be mitigated. And that's how it does it. It's by giving your brain the opportunity to create a new pathway to fix that problem as opposed to being trapped in that problem in the superhighway of your past. Mm -hmm. So using that as, a, as part of the treatment for, I don't know, maybe four years now, um, in multiple different spaces, ages, races, cultures, yeah. um, I found the results to be unanimous. I, that I really love mushrooms. Like I have a special relationship with them. And I, like, I really believe that um, they're a gift from nature to help expand the consciousness of humanity. And I, I actually believe that the mushrooms are sentient. They're sentient plants. And, they <laughs> and make that's you why sentient, they right? are able to work so intelligently with our bodies. Um, and my, my experience um, working with mushrooms is that uh, it dissolves your ego. And that's why you lose that attachment to everything. And you can start to, like, it, it changes your perception of the world. You're not reactive. Mm -hmm. You can give yourself space to think before you respond. You know, you don't have to be in that urgent state. You've got a lot more bandwidth at, at your disposal. Your multitasking abilities become better. Your relationships with others become easier and better. Um, and then it was funny, like when I was looking more into it and we understand, of course, how it works in nature and what their job in nature was. Mm -hmm. And they ultimately are responsible for genetic mutation of plant species and animal species. So I'm watching this little thing grow that seems insignificant, yet it will create a new type of plant that's more adaptable for the environment it lived in. So it's scanning the environment, it's scanning the genetics of the of the organism and saying, no, no, let's make some adjustments to its genes so that when it grows in the future, it will have a better chance of su survival. Mm. So I said, well, if it does that for plants, if it does that for the animal kingdom, why couldn't it do that for us? Yeah. And what could we look like down the line? Should we have this type of, you well, know, sentient connection to everything all the time? Yeah. That, that um, goes back to, and I'm sure you must be familiar with this, um, Terence McKenna's stoned ape yeah. theory, where he said that because we, we don't have a scientific understanding of how and why humans split off from other animal species and became so intelligent, why was so much power and um, like energy from nutrition diverted to growing our brains? Like it doesn't actually make sense. 
And his theory is that we started consuming uh, mushrooms, psilocybin, even if by accident. And it was this consuming of the mushrooms that actually sparked this expansion of consciousness. Exactly right. <laughs> so that's why that became part of the protocol. Even though you're detoxing, when you detox, you're sending a, a message to your brain, mind, body, mind, body. You're showing your, your mind is now learning and scanning your body. Every time you clean it out, it's forming a new mental pathway. And you're sending an instruction saying, this is what I want to do. I want to clean my body. I want to clean my body. And it's easy to do it and do it once without that. But when you're doing it with that, like we said, that you become more accepting, the attachment becomes less, and the mental pathways that you're creating in that process of detoxing will be strengthened now by the fact that there's something that's expanding that brain's consciousness to say, this is the new version of self. Mm. And this is what I want to imprint. I don't want this to be a passing phase. I don't want it to be something that I can regress from. I want these to be the new roads I'm building for my future. That old highway is breaking. It's no longer serving the purpose and it's too congested. Let's decentralize the process. So remarkable. When I say remarkable, and I'm sure you know from yeah. personal experience, but remarkable on a, on a grand stage across so many different things, across so many different people that I was like, there's a no-brainer with this with this medicine. And then there was one more facet that we couldn't deal with. And these these all these came about by trying to find a solution to why things were happening, like regression was one of them. The other one was your brain detox. Uh-oh, I lived badly for many years because I grew up in a time when we didn't have the sense of awareness. I grew up on tons of antibiotics and chemicals because my dad was a doctor, and that's how we grew up. Obviously, knowing that wasn't correct in the future, trying to change that, my fear was always about what already got in there that's going to give me problems when I'm older. And the brain was apparently, not apparently, the brain is one of the hardest organs to detox because its mechanics are different to the rest of the body. It's somewhat disconnected. It's got a barrier. It's got its, got its own mechanism. So how do we purge the brain? There were some detoxes you could do for the pineal gland, etc. that I did. But I'm talking about a grand detox of the brain. And after some years of doing all the standard detoxes that we have, the liver cleansers and the coffee enemas and all the wonderful herbs that are there for, 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 our, for our cleansing, I came across the master cleanser. I came across the master detox medicine, which is the combo frog. Mm -hmm. South American frog. or. Uh, yeah. That, that, um, that comes from the Amazon or lives in the Amazon. And these tribes, people have been using this medicine for thousands of years. And the scientist who discovered, can't remember the name of the, the chemical in the brain, serotonin, I think it was, he studied this frog in detail. And at the time when he was doing his research, found that at that time there was nothing that could detox the brain but this. And there's quite a few peptides and, and chemical makeup in that medicine. And only, I think, 20 or 30 out of 80 potentially have been studied and evaluated. But having lived that lifestyle for about four years now, three times a year, and having taken people who have been ill uh, elderly people, ex-alcoholics, etc., taking them through the journey. Because you can't move forward if you've got legacy baggage. Yeah, you, you just can't. Even the mushrooms can fix your brain, but if you've got toxins in there, it's going to impair or disrupt 
the brain's natural function. So after the first one, I could not believe myself. I could not believe how I felt. I could not believe the energy, the clarity. And the thing that I noticed the most was the most in-body experience I've ever had, where I could feel my, my toes are connected to me and my, these are my fingers. And I know that sounds very obvious, but unless you've had the experience, you actually, not you, obviously, but I'm just talking in general, you've never had a connection to your body like this, where you can feel everything is yours and it's connected to you and you are in charge of how this vessel operates. Mm -hmm. It's the most empowering feeling I've ever had. So that's like the last segment of my, of my protocols. Um, like after you've done the standards and make sure your body's in balance and apply minerals and do the basic cleanses, home-based, etc. Bring the body into a cycle, mushrooms just to make sure your mind is and your body's in connection. Once you've passed through that phase, the combo is then really effective because you've already prepared your body. So it's not just a shock on something hardcore detox like that for the first time because your body can really react if it hasn't ever had a detox in its life and your stomach is blocked and your liver is blocked then it can be really uncomfortable. So we always have that, that period before to cleanse, to test the, the individuals on how they react to detoxing, what they may be feeling, if anything. So that when it comes to that type of intense process or protocol, we're also aware of how this individual may or may not react. But to date, we've been doing it for a long time with many, many big groups and touch wood, grace to the creator that we've never had a bad experience and we've never had anybody come back with anything negative to say only positive people who were addicted to alcohol and other things found that they could let go of their relationship to their body changed so much that their body started rejecting the things that were not good for them mm. it kind of reset that mental mind body balance where it forced out things that no longer serve you. Instead of you trying to quit or go on diet, I don't believe in those things. I don't believe it works because mm -hmm. your mind will always try to go back to what it likes. Yeah. So yeah, that was just the last part I wanted to cover in terms of how and what I do for, for in, the, in the wellness space and what the steps and the processes are. And um, I wish healing for the world, really. Yeah, beautiful. So you've got a very all-encompassing holistic approach addressing mind body and soul which i love because i'm all about that and i really like that last bit that you said about um you know the diets not working or the quitting smoking not working and it all comes back to the brain and those neural pathways like i really believe that very strongly like if you really want to change it's the the practices that that are going to affect your brain on that neural network level that are really going to have the, the biggest effect um, exactly. Like my my own experience, I think I've spoken about it on the podcast before, so I won't go into too much detail, but um, just briefly, I was experiencing really debilitating chronic fatigue syndrome for a period of um, quite a few months. And then I did San Pedro. And it was the most fascinating, crazy experience of my life because, and, and I didn't have a full like trip dose. So I didn't trip. It was a very mild dose. Uh, but the next day, I, I literally felt physically, I could feel all the neural pathways in my brain waking up and like firing again. It was an actual physical sensation. And then the chronic fatigue went away. Yeah. 
100%. The, the, the San Pedro is another very special medicine. Uh, we use it a lot as well. Um, and at a time when I got the message, it was very important medicine for women. And that was the message I received because I had it. And I was always very scared to, to, to prepare it and give it to people because it was such a, a niche thing that was really unheard of. And uh, I got the message one day when I was making a tea, cup of tea. I said, prepare San Pedro immediately. Why? Who? Why? Do it. Fine. Here's the bottles. Ten bottles as asked on my shelf. By the next day, those ten bottles had gone to ten people who needed it that day. Wow. And the message was about restoring the balance of the masculine and feminine mind. So that polarity of the mind where it's a choice left or right, it's not a choice left or right. Mm. It's like not a choice to engage in your masculine or, or feminine self. You are both always. Exactly. So making a decision or acting from a position of a unified perspective gives the individual perspective. Because you're not just deciding what the left brain would say, what does the right brain say about this topic? And forming a, 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 a coming together to make a decision as opposed to one or the other. Mm. That's what San Pedro really was. It was about that. And we tested it with a hypnotherapist who's very much open-minded and, she, and she's a hypnobirthing specialist. And she put me on the hypnobirthing course. In fact, you should potentially look into her, her story and the way they do things. It's really amazing from a women's perspective empowerment, what we didn't know about, about birthing and women. And um, she put me on a five-week course with five other pregnant expecting couples and uh, ran me through the journey. And um, I was amazed by the power of, of just breathing and, and what they would call hypnotherapy, where the people would need no drugs and there'd be no pain at a time of birthing. So I said, no, this is amazing. Can you test me on San Pedro to see what your, she had a machine that you test the frequency of the brain activity, something to see what shows, whether there's balance and frequency. And uh, we did, and the results were good. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful what did, medicine. What did the results show? That's well, it basically showed a, a very steady pattern and it showed activation on both sides. I think that was the key. Uh, that there was like duality, if you want to call it that. There was multifunction and good brain activity, good frequency. And when you go into that state of meditation and whatever, how quickly it gets you get into that state and, and your experience within that, it was also measuring you while you're in that state. And she said she was very uh, impressed because they, they do a teaching about that left brain and there's a, there's a barrier between your brains, yeah. between your left and right. And that is a barrier that gets built over time and it segregates the brain on purpose. And this practice and their teaching is not, it's about reducing that wall, that firewall in between the two and allowing for that to become one, which is why I, I was really interested to see what uh, a session on San Pedro with, mm -hmm. with doing hypnotherapy would be like. It was amazing. Um, San Pedro is an amazing medicine. We, we use a lot of it. and. Yeah. Yeah, just to well, clarify for those who don't know, San Pedro is, um, like, spiritually speaking, it is a masculine plant. It's a masculine medicine. So that's why I smiled when you said that you were told that it's for women. Because, <laughs> yeah, it brings that balance of the masculine and feminine. Beautiful. And it also activates your, your, your energy system. So what I found 
in the early days when we started using it, it was right after my mom passed and we were basically living in the mountains like, like wild people for a while because uh, I just could not relate to earth anymore. The things that were going around, I just could not. So I felt better just being in the middle of the mountains, walking around. And I felt the minute you, you take that, you feel the electricity from the earth, the energy from the earth under your feet, that Kundalini charge, if you want to call it that. And at that time, we took a lot, like a like a journey dose. Yeah. And you could physically feel that energy free, mm. pulsing through you like this. And all you needed to do was touch a rock to discharge, and the energy was, like, really strong. So there was a lot of... Um, a lot of really good work done and being done still using San Pedro. So we've got a lot of people who grow it themselves, uh, who were trained in the shamanic lineage from the South American people, who grow it themselves and brew it in the very same fashion. Um, and it makes a difference, I think, the type of the way you ingest it, you know, like dry or brewed or tinctured or whatever. So, um, yeah, there's lots more to explore in this space. And, and I really think the message for people is not to be scared about what was traditionally considered, you know, uh, taboo topics or, and these are not drugs, you know, these are not yeah. drugs in any way. They're a medicine that are plants that have a positive and uplifting effect on our body. So mm. let's do this. Yeah. I just do you just want to mention, because like you were talking about the people that are growing it and that they've been trained in the shamanic traditions. Like if you are interested in doing plant medicine, just be very careful about who you do it with. Because um, I think if you don't do it with the right people that know what they're doing and know how to hold space and know how to use the medicine with respect, that, that's when people have bad experiences. So it's yeah. very important to find somebody who knows what they're doing. Um but yeah, like I agree. I really, I believe that all of these medicines, as you say, they've been used traditionally for thousands of years and um, they, they are gifts from mother nature to help us, whether it's physically or emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and definitely not drugs. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not drugs. Vastly different from, you know, modern chemical drugs. I mean, I think that at the, the end of the day, the result is about like evaluating the, the transformative effect something has on you and not just how you feel, but how your environment feels about it. Like how have you changed in your space towards your family or your kids or your, whatever you're dealing with, stress, work, has it adapted you? Whatever your practice is, like, no matter what culture, religion, the process you follow, I think the most important thing is that point of evaluation is whether it's transforming you whether it's actually shifting you to the next stage of your conscious development. And if it's not doing that, then there needs to be a time for change. And I'm finding a lot more people open-minded to this way of life. Um, I think because as well, we've been doing it for a while, so there's been a lot of references now. Mm. Whereas in the back in five, eight, ten years ago, there was less information and, and use cases around, around this medicine. But now, you know, there's a lot more shared people's stories are much more public and there's a lot more ways for us to get this information. So I don't see this to be a very um, uh, long drawn out affair. I think the world has woken up to this reality. Mm -hmm. And within the next like five to 10 years, I think this type of medicine and this type of treatments are going to be mainstream. I, I can't. And see, people tell the story. 
And what I mean by that is, like, if you feel you need a doctor, and a million, a trillion, 10 million people feel they need a doctor, there's going to be doctors. But if 10 million people feel they need to get some mushrooms or San Pedro, then there's going to be more of those people than, than doctors. So we as the people, as the consumers, as those in need, determine the path of what's created. Yeah. We determine that. Yes. And we always see that, oh, Monsanto were bad guys or the government did something stupid with generative. Yes. But why did they do that? They did that because they believed they could feed the population better and in a more controlled way. Mm-hmm. So while we all believe it's rubbish, the intent of the people who went out to do that were not for bad intention. Yeah. They were trying to solve a problem because we are saying we are starving and we've got no food. All of a sudden, more farms come out, more local produce is happening, and we start realizing, hey, we're not starving. We can feed ourselves. So it's not to fight against the people who are you know, doing what we perceive to be wrong or unjust, but it's rather about us carrying on on our journey, doing it the way we're doing it, with proof that shows a different way and let the people make another choice as opposed to fight anybody. They're only going to be there if they want it. If they're not wanted, they won't be there. I think that's such a great message of empowerment um, and like so very needed at this time. And I've also spoken about this before, you know, the, the best way to enact change is not to try and fight it, not to like try and get government legislation changed or like go picketing in the streets. It's really just make a different choice, choose differently, choose the life that you want to live. And the more of us that do that, more things will change. And the less, and then I think the key one for that on that point is we start realizing how much we don't need from somebody. You become less reliant on people, whether it's mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, family members, otherwise government, whatever. There's humanity has got such a huge dependency on things. That's the problem. We are always expecting other people to solve our things. We don't want to take ownership of our body, understand how it works, realize that, hey, it's a really stupid problem that you're suffering with. A few glasses of kombucha and <laughs> you'd be feeling a lot better. You know, you don't have to take an antibiotic for that condition. So I think that we became lazy because we stopped thinking for ourselves. We stopped feeling, we stopped r- looking for the answers and we thought that Understanding your body meant that you have to be a doctor and nobody would take you seriously if you knew your own body. I mean, that's a little bit of a conundrum in my mind, like really. Mm -hmm. You can't say you have a vessel like this and we don't understand it. So advocacy and and, and knowledge sharing is critically important in my world. Uh, That's why I'm really grateful for you having me here to share the story and let people know that they're not alone. Not everything is doom and gloom. And while the world may be going through its chaos, there is always a center and there are always people here to help. Um, there's many of us, Rain and myself, and there's many others like us who really care about the well-being of other people and are really happy and willing to share our knowledge and experiences with the people so that we can all reach a state of peace. That's really all it is. We want to just reach that state of peace. From there, you make your own choices. Our job is to facilitate you back to yourself, not towards me or to another practitioner or to another attachment. I don't want you to be phoning me all the time. I want you to get it. 
you get the logic, you ask the questions. The minute you're on your path, you've empowered yourself. You've become the teacher. And that's my my end result for leading yeah. anybody. It's just to give them the so, same power and, 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 and freedom I have. Yeah, so it's really about um, assisting people and becoming more sovereign. Yeah, beautiful. More sovereign in your own, and, and convicted in it, right? Because I think it starts there. We started that in the beginning, is that people will never think this way unless there's conviction. And how do you get conviction? People are still unsure of who they are at 50 or 60 years old. So conviction means understanding of yourself, and therefore you see, okay, well, I'm at two, but I'm working in a highly corporate world. It's not going to work. It's going to crush me. If you're an eight, yeah, you can work in a corporate world. If you're a five, sure, you can work in an analytic world. But if you have another type of frequency, you're not going to, you won't be able to work there. It will not be suitable for you. The last part I want to say about this numbers thing is that, you know, we make a decision about our future between the ages of nine and 18. Education, tertiary education, job, careers, family, whatever. And you start looking at the future from that position. But that position at that time of your life is different to what you'll become when you turn 18. The frequency will change. <laughs> so people are like, okay, okay, this makes sense. And then boom, they reach that age. And all of a sudden, the numbers, the opposite, polar opposite of what they were. And they feel despondent and lost hope. And oh my God, I don't have anything. What am I going to do? I have to change career. It costs me money. So we want to try and bring this type of teaching in earlier into the school system as a guideline, as a guide to the to the kids to say, this is kind of where you are, you are now. This is potentially how you're going to be. We would advise maybe that you look at a little bit of a dual perspective because then you can have that option when that happens in the future, you're not stuck. Yeah. Same with marriage and relationships and partnerships. Like, what do you expect to see in this relationship? And it's not fortune-telling, of course. It's really just about a template and, 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 and a persona about what and how somebody would be so that you know what would trigger that individual you know why they would have any type of challenges. So as a partner, you would be aware and not have to do the things that would cause those problems in the first place. And it's really about that. It's about the awareness of, of yourself and the other individual in your space. And we've noticed a lot of people with, with, with issues in, in the relationships space. Once we do a family reading and they understand, they're like, oh, that makes sense. This is why I behave like that. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry for judging you. I didn't realize. Oh, I'm sorry that you saw it like that. I didn't realize. Guess what? Okay. Okay, we see. We see. We've been stupid. Sorry. And they, they kind of automatically fall into a remorse because forgive, forgiveness must come with understanding. You won't forgive somebody unless there's closure, understanding. Yeah. So with that like little piece of, of understanding of the other individual, you lose that ego's will to fight because you're not threatened anymore. Well, this is why it's obvious. Okay, cool. Understood. I mean, an eight year. Okay, it means this. Don't expect that. You know, just be aware of what energy space you're in. Mm. And you will then be able to not get scathed by the chaos, to not be burnt <laughs> at the stake either for your beliefs, but really to remain just platonic in the wind. You're there and nowhere, you know. Yeah, it's a beautiful journey, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful journey. I want to um, I want to get a little bit deeper into something you said right at the beginning because I think it could be quite helpful for 
like what's happening at the moment as a collective, you were talking about how you had to abandon the beliefs that you'd hold your whole life as the son of a medical doctor. And then you went through the space of nothingness. And I can relate to that very much. <laughs> it's that sort of ego death. And then there's the nothingness before the rebirth. But, um, you know, going through that, letting go of everything you've held to be true is very scary and very difficult. And I think that's why a lot of people are really struggling at the moment because everything that's happened over the last couple of years have started to awaken people to the fact that things are not quite as they thought they were. And that's, that's really hard because it feels like a crisis of identity because we identify ourselves and who we are with our environment and what we have perceived to be true. So can you speak a little bit more on that process? Like what gave you the strength to let go of what you had believed and be open to discovering something new? Well, if I'm being honest, I think losing a child and a mother so close together mm-hmm. made it very easy for me to just let go because, yeah. you know, as, as any individual, those are the two biggest strongholds anybody would ever have, your mother, yeah. your umbilical cord, and your own child. So once those were taken, I... I found it really easy to just let go because I knew nothing. And I and I thought to myself, like, I owe it to her because she was a healer as well. So she was a reflexologist and a counselor. And she was unbelievable. Really, she was amazing at her work. And I always witnessed how people felt around her and how she made people feel when they left the space that she created for them. And um, the nothingness was weird. It was almost more weird than it was depressing. It was like I didn't know what to do. Um, I lost all function that I would have, all my skill sets, my IT. I was really like good in IT and, and could do a lot of really cool stuff. And I didn't have access to that faculty. For like two, three years, I couldn't access that logic base. It was gone. And I was like the most simple tasks I couldn't perform. So I had lost everything. And I thought to myself, you know, this is normal, I guess, in the transition of of nothingness into everythingness, right? <laughs> and um, But I think what really made it the easiest for me, actually, even more than the loss, was I never wanted to have an identification because I could not identify with anything in the real world. Having been born into an Indian Arab culture under a Muslim and then went to Catholic schools and had friends who were Greek and Portuguese and Lebanese and all the cultures, I found they were all the same and I thought there was a problem where there was this, and the, the key problem at the time was this patriarchy, this over-empowering patriarchy that seemed to just be the theme of life, that what the man said went. And even though I was a man, I found that to be quite hard to receive that type of energy from the kind of person I was growing up. So I had a very, very, very negative view on the masculine. So my own personal masculine journey was very affected by that, where I prefer to stay in the feminine. Mm-hmm. But you can't live in the feminine. It doesn't, it's beautiful and it's comforting and all that, but it, it's not the creator. It doesn't have that creator energy. You need that combination to make the manifestation happen. So what I found was I was sitting in the, I was, I was sitting in the back seat all the time. I could, never, I could never speak anything and I could never do anything because I didn't know anything. So the first uh, medicine that arrived for me was something called fulvic acid. And how it arrived was also miraculous. I'll tell you the story another time, but that was the first medicine that arrived. 
And then I had teachers who came who were dealing with dreaded disease. Um, they came to help me with my mom. And uh, they were medical doctors who resigned from that world and just focused predominantly on the natural medicine and had clinics in the rural areas that were serving the people with no access to medicine, medicine that was found in where they, where they lived and a combination of what they would grow themselves and without any funding from anybody else would run clinics that supported thousands of people throughout KwaZulu-Natal. Wow. So I was like, wow, I mean, what a better way to learn. So they taught me for, 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 for those years, which also made it much easier for me to let go of a version that I held on to because mm. I'm now seeing use cases of people at the highest degree dealing with some of the most intense uh, diseases that we, that we know and having really good results. So, you know, I think that the, the initial thing was just about the first let go. It's like when you reach that point, like I'm done, it doesn't matter what happens, whether I live or die, I actually don't care. Because I won't stay in this reality without knowing why I'm here and what the truth of this life is. If I'm going to just stay here and be a, a close-minded, blinkers on, then rather just take me out because it's not worth my journey. So I think uh, whoever was listening answered my prayer, sent me the right people, messages, training. And... Um, even though, like I said, it was a really strange feeling to, to be nothing and to feel nothing whatsoever for anything. I thought, actually, I, it's supposed to be depression. Maybe this is what depression feels like. But it really wasn't that at all. It was just about me really hungry for learning. Mm. So what kept me okay during that time was reading really amazing books of people who, who spoke about things like this. Um, like other Sufi people who wrote books about healing, the Sufi guides to healing were amazing. And the ancient, like many of them, anyway, like Terence McKenna and the Amayan mysteries and the Amazonian people and the tribes people and what they did and the shamans. And like, I mean, there was just a never ending wealth of wow and wonder because I had never known about it. So I never really felt um, disconnected. I never felt like, sad i was just empty but getting full with knowledge now mm. with wisdom now so it was actually a beautiful time uh, while i was sad about what had happened i i realized that the only way that she remains alive is by learning from her experience what to do and what not to do and try to help other people's mothers especially women and in the beginning, I did a lot more work with women than, than men. In fact, still till now, I deal with more women than I do men. Um, because I find that women like are easier to surrender. They, they, they want to make a change faster than a man will want to make a change. And they're ultimately the ones who create a change in the house. The man's not going to change the diet in the house. The woman will. You know, it's not, it's weird, but that's how, what, what I found. So... Yeah, that's a little bit about the, about that part of the, the journey. Mm. Um, of course, then was San Pedro and Ayahuasca and Mushroom Journeys and uh, detox, heavy detoxes, all of them you can think of. <laughs> so that time, those four years were, were empty but busy full at the same time, you know. Mm. And I think those groups of people and those learnings kept me motivated and full of hope for for the fact that I made the right choice. Mm. 
yeah. to let go of everything I knew um, and come back as a new version and see what you actually want instead of what you thought you were. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I very much resonate with that because my own experience was of losing my brother um, six years ago now. And uh, yeah, I had this like weird sensation after he died of feeling like I'd been living my whole life behind a veil and like suddenly the veil was stripped away from my eyes and everything looked different. Like I looked around at my life and I just felt differently about everything. Everything looked different. And I went into that weird in-between nothing state. <laughs> um, so I can very much relate to that. And, um, you know, that experience of losing him, of course, changed my life. And it, it made me it made me look at everything I believed up until that point, what I'd been working on, what I'd been focusing on, what I'd been making important. And um, suddenly I felt differently about everything. Yeah, it's a thing about losing things, you know, human beings that are close to you. It really, really, really challenges the the thread of attachment, mm. and it really makes you scared of ever being attached again. Like I will never be attached emotionally like I was to my mother or child ever again. Not because I won't love and give all of me, but I realized that I was loving wrong. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds weird, but. Can you love wrong? Or if you don't know where the love is coming from, then you could be loving wrong. In the sense of an attached love is dangerous. It's not a free love. Mm -hmm. And having kids and trying and then having this free love way with the children is interesting, <laughs> of course, because they can take advantage of that, of that a little bit. But at the same time, it's like they know that there's no attachment. They can feel it, but I'm there. And they know that. So it's a very interesting thin line between dependability and independence. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Is that you want to be dependable for others, but you also want to be independent so that you're not bound to anything. And that duality is really the, the journey of an eight. So we're talking about numbers so that's all will always be the journey of an eight. In fact, we should do yours before we end the session. Okay, that'll be interesting. Um, I just want to say something on that quickly. Like um, you're talking about loving your children with that free love. I think that's such a beautiful gift to give to your children because, um, you know, loving, quote unquote, wrongly, what happens between a parent and a child is the parent is projecting onto the child everything that they want to fulfill through them. And that's where people grow up feeling all of this pressure from their parents to be a certain way instead of just being allowed to be exactly who they are without the pressure of mommy or daddy saying, you've got to do this, or you've got to be like this, or you got to, don't talk like that, don't do that. Um, and so, yes, there is a wrong way of loving. <laughs> and um, that loving unattachedly is um, really the greatest gift that we can give to those that we love, I think. Yeah, and it's like I think learning love, learning about love was honestly the hardest part for me. Well, actually breaking down this understanding of love. When you realize that you've loved in that way and there's another way to love, mm -hmm. it was a, like a very, very, very different energy space to, to, to be in. And even with the kids, you mentioned the kids, right? 
and like as parents you want to do the best for them and you want to guide them as best you think but you don't know even as parents living with them we don't know who they really are yet yeah so using the numbers again i have a very clear picture on why mine are the way they are and what each of one of them need and don't need in order for there to be some balance i'm not saying that they're perfect they still make a hell of noise they're naughty they're rude they're full of nonsense that doesn't change that's just kids but i and me having a little bit of a of an understanding about why certain things happen gives me a peace of mind and gives me a better way to respond i have a different way to respond knowing that about that individual yes. that this one will not respond to that they will respond to this yeah so it gives you a little bit of a of a heads up and i think it's important for par- for parents especially because we parenting is one probably the hardest journey really yeah <laughs> one i can do like <laughs> hiking for 6 days with fasting with ayahuasca everything that's easy but <laughs> being a parent for a day is really intense work and challenges all of your faculties so for me i, I focus a lot about helping parents because i know how difficult it is for them especially single mothers i really really empathize not sympathize i empathize with them because i think they they really strong uh mm-hmm. to be able to even say they're doing such a thing because even with two it's hard so having one is just i don't know how it's how it works it's just i give my it's hard <laughs> mad respect to to them all the time and um really would want to help in that space and always have done a lot of workshops and uh self-help type of courses for for for, for moms especially single moms amazing um haven't done in much in cape town but in johannesburg when i lived there we used to, to do quite a few of them that used to really help and just to create a safe space i think that was the key yes. um to have a safe space where people feel that they're not going to be judged and there's going to be some understanding as to what's going on so while we may not be able to physically adjust financially or emotionally in that moment the understanding will give us a key to what will happen next and how we should what we should do to change our path yeah because um being being a single mom feels very lonely and i can really, can really feel like nobody understands it unless you're surrounded by other single moms but um that wasn't my experience and yeah it's just feel like you're yeah, all on yeah. your own <laughs> I just really can't imagine what that would be like. Um I think honestly I really 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 take my hat out right off and maximum respect to women at large but to women who are, who are doing it by themselves and had to fight decades of oppression and patriarchy and mm. uh, to still be standing strong independently. For me that's the hero. That's a real hero for me. Mm. So, actually just very beautifully um brought me back to because I just made some little notes here about things that I want to do. <laughs> talk on before we get to doing my pin code. Um but yeah like when you spoke earlier about the patriarchy and how that affected you as a boy growing up. Um this is also something that I'm quite passionate about helping people to understand because you know with uh feminism being such a thing over the last few decades and people often talking about the patriarchy i think a lot of people have this misperception that it's about women versus men and it's really not patriarchy is an energy it's a masculine energy that doesn't benefit anyone it makes it just as hard for men to live in this patriarchal world as for women 
So thank you for bringing that up and sharing your own experience because I saw for my own brother how hard that was and um, have seen it for my own son as well. So for me, it's really important to get both women and men to understand that if we want to dismantle the patriarchy, it's not about um, beating down men and women coming out on top. It's not about that at all. It's about finding that beautiful balance of the masculine and the feminine and finding a way for us to harmonize and lift each other up. If you know, going back in the journey when I was doing my research, um, and I was like, the question I had was, what is the root cause of the first fork of humanity? What, what caused us to first fork away from this, what we always knew where we came from? What was that? And I know it may sound weird, but the Garden of Eden story was always resonated with me, not in the context of how it was and how it is explained, but more in the sense of the Garden of Eden being a combination of this peace between man and woman. Mm. And earth was the segregation thereof. Mm. What was the splitting, the dividing of that one, okay? And it always stuck with me because I read that story somewhere and it always stuck with me and I thought to myself, you know, and I was really triggered always around women who were disrespected by men was my ultimate trigger. Like I was, do not ever do that because my mom culturally had that growing, we had that growing up. And so witnessing life through the eyes of a child who was fond and loved his mother and didn't appreciate that way. Um, when I went back into the story to realize, or to understand rather, where did the story start from? How did patriarchy become a thing? Okay, When did it become a thing? And there was a documentary on Netflix that I watched some time back called The Pyramid Code. The Pyramid Code. And The Pyramid Code was a documentary with the, the orator, a person who at that time was quite old, but grew up playing soccer where the pyramids were before they even unearthed the Sphinx. So he had a very ground level view on life pyramids and he became, he studied what he needed to study and he became a guide and archaeologist and whatever and he had a lot more knowledge and whatever. And what the most interesting part of that whole documentary for me was Outside of the interesting of nobody was ever buried in a pyramid, for example, it was a sacred space that was a sound chamber. You never, there was never a body found in there. Okay, so all of this started now coming out in the show. But what was the ultimate takeaway for me was Tutankhamun and his wife moved away from that city that they all lived in to create another city. And for the first time, expressed the balance and duality of man and woman. It was the first time in ancient history, in ancient Egyptian history. Funnily enough, in all of the books that we were taught in school, we never saw that type of information. Never, ever. It was the first time color was seen in, in, in art. It was the first time they witnessed statues of women holding men that were small like this, yeah. fully grown men, but showing the role of the, the woman and the man, showing... Mm -hmm expressing rather these these sentiments of these uh, male, male and female. And also, Tutankhamun is the one corpse that was able to be studied 
out of all that they found. And they found that he, his cause of death was that his skull was cracked at the back. So the chance, they said that the chances are he was murdered. And he was murdered very potentially for his belief mm -hmm. in this new city they created. And they did not like this. And I was like, wow, I mean, it, is it really that obvious? Like, why are women such a threat? Right? I was like, I know that men behave like this when they are threatened. So how can a, a simple woman threaten a man so gravely? What is it? And I had, had I not done that hypnobirthing five-week course, I would have never, ever understood the innate power a woman has in transformation at the time of birth. Mm -hmm. The things that happen in that woman's body and what's capable of happening will forever transform that individual into a new version of self that would have never existed before that child came. Mm -hmm. But they took that power away. They made it scary. They made it bloody. They made mm -hmm. it cutty. They made it screaming. They made it drugs. That's what childbirth became. Yeah. And we'd never wanted to go that route. We were forced into that route because of the complication we had with the first one that forced to cut. And therefore, thereafter, we had to follow that. But all the time, we were hoping that at some point, we would be able to do that naturally. Mm -hmm. So it took away that, that level of transformation that would naturally happen with a woman when, when they give birth. And I realized instantaneously that should women really unlock their innate power? Really, not physical strength, not just mental aptitude, no, something that we haven't even seen yet, mm -hmm. something that we haven't collectively witnessed yet. And that's when I realized the actual curse on humanity is the segregation. Mm -hmm. Is this religious and cultural belief that women are less than men? The minute that happened, the balance of the entire planet got disrupted. Yeah. The world was then built by men without foresight, without any nurturing alternatives to consideration about things that it may affect, because women think that way. Mm. And if you build a house here, what about the animals living in the tree next door? Yeah. A woman would ask that. A man would just cut the tree down. Okay, not all. I'm generalizing, right? Yes, of, of course. course. But in the, in the general traditional sense, men have a more linear approach. Women have a more holistic approach. Mm. And that's why they are the mothers. They have the womb. They have the eggs all around. So in my understanding, the real strength and where I'm, I haven't even unlocked this chapter yet of my life. I'm heading there. But I can undoubtedly say without any uncertainty, after having done this research and found these reference points in history, the last one, and I'll tell you this, the law, and you know this anyway, but the last one that convinced me of this story was that up until a certain point, the ancient cultures all used the moon as a as the calendar. Some of them still do, right? And then all of a sudden it changed from the moon cycle to the sun cycle. Why? Who made that decision? Some men, a group of men, and I think it was the Roman times and Caesar's time, I think it was, right? I think they created that Gregorian calendar, whatever. Yeah. And they changed the calendar to follow the sun instead of the moon, even though the moon works out better than the sun does. But they switched it. 
So now let's move away from the feminine because the moon, as you know, is linked to the feminine. And I've studied this as well, that the menstrual cycle of the women, if their body's in balance and not on anything that would adjust the hormonal level, is that between dark moon and full moon is when menstruation and uh, ovulation would happen. Those, those cycles. And I had been watching that with my family and my wife for a very long time. Mm. So understanding the, womb, the, the, the moon being feminine, understanding that there was a change in the, in the way our life works because everything works according to time and calendar. Our whole entire life is based upon that structure. Mm. We have now based our structure upon something masculine in a way that they can control the days and nights. Yeah. So it was an interesting point in that particular one for me because I, I really understand the, the sun to be the masculine and the moon to be the feminine, the cool, the nurturing, the, the light at night, darkness, etc., etc. So that was like my final proof. I was like, yeah, I know for sure that they are threatened massively by feminine, by the feminine power. And they'll do anything to suppress or control that power. So whatever that means, I'm not even sure yet, but I'm sure you're going to help me find that. <sighs> yeah, I got goosebumps when you're talking about women taking back their innate power through birth. Because also, that's also something that I'm very passionate about. I also believe that women have been uh, suppressed through the control of the birth process. Like it's it's not supposed to be this terrible, scary thing that you have to hand over all control to a man in a white coat. It's supposed to be the greatest initiation of your life. Yeah. And yeah. yes, of course, in in cases where there really is an emergency that's going to be life threatening to the mother or the baby, thank God we have modern medicine. But I think the the thing that the majority of women don't understand today is that those are quite rare. The average woman is perfectly capable of giving birth on her own. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And uh, there's a lot more that's coming, I think, as the energy is shifting and as the planet is going through its transformation right now. Um, I definitely feel that that's really where mm. where we're going to yeah, be fine. That's so. the end goal for me. You, there's a definite um, shift happening at the moment, a big one. And I think I'll send you some links on 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 uh, my birthing kit. Her name is her name is Kim, and just to have a, a chat to her about this yep. process. I, I, I think she's I and more women that know about that. I say again. I think I need to get her onto the podcast. Yeah, I think so. She's a the more people, the more women that know about this. And I and I was with these women. And traditionally, women are very scared, of course, as I explained about birthing, because of what was put into our, our minds all this time. And witnessing these women have, some of them had a complication and they had to go into the hospital or whatever, but they didn't steer away from the breathing techniques and not relying on the drugs. And they all gave birth to healthy. I saw them after, some of them socially afterwards, and they looked happy and healthy and that's exactly what it was. There was no pain. And I just like wish more women could see. Because when I felt it, even though I was a man and I'm not going to give birth ever in my life, I felt so excited and 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 
would love to share that message with as many women as possible. Maybe they don't do the whole thing and they still have the dependency on the hospital. That's fine. But I think the process of breathing and learning certain pro uh, uh, techniques to keep your, your, your stress levels down and like she was explaining how, how the muscles contract and there's like, there's two sets, one go like this and one goes like this, right? So when the contractions happen, it's the combination of these two, that kind of, depending on the timing, help you birth this child. But if there's fear or tension or whatever, these muscles are tight. So therefore that child is now not wanting to come out because these muscles are keeping it inside, right? So how do you relax these muscles and allow them to do their job, just to stay out of the way and not to be in fear of this pain where there's women, they looked like they were smoking weed. They looked high <laughs> while they were about like in labor. They hadn't yeah. given birth yet, but they looked so zen and they were like, so Ooh, I thought my, I mean, they must have taken something, but just from breathing and from the, from the chemical that gets secreted into the blood at the time of labor. Yeah. Uh, check out her stuff. You'll see. I will. It will blow your mind. <laughs> it will blow your mind. Okay, cool. Should we do my pin code so that people can yes, please. Give me a of what code. it is and how it works? And as I mentioned in the beginning, right, so so your date of birth gets converted into eight numbers and each number represents a position. The first one is your most public, your most yeah, obvious expression and persona. The second one is more private in your safe space, home, friends, etc., family. The third one is your public, like outside of your comfort zone, like more global than it is your more social. The fourth one is um, regarded as, I call it the shifting block. That's my term for it, because that appears in certain times. It's not an always on position. It comes up and when you need it. So if you're shifting, going through something, whatever it may be, that number comes to give you added support in the time of need. The fifth one is your um, the lesson. That what are you here to learn? Why are you here? Like, what's your path going to lead to? The bottom right, the six, is your inner child from zero to nine years old. The second one, the four, on the left is uh, nine to 18 years old. And then the last one is the, the soul number or your essence number. And that's the number that you got at the time of conception. Or how did you enter this? this reality, what was your entry point number? Then those numbers get um, broken down further into your element balance. So how does your elements weigh out for you? Everybody's different. Um, we're all made up of a combination of this air, water, fire, earth type situation, but what, um, how does ours look and therefore what are our strengths and what are our imbalances are come from that and then the last one is the year that you're currently in so each year an individual will have their own nine year cycle mm -hmm. right every nine years the cycle starts again so every cycle is nine years when you entered this when you were born you entered into a nine year okay and in 2023 it's a two year for you Okay, so two meaning, two being the number of the nurturer, the healer. So this year would be a year of healing and the doors would open and be naturally a laws of attraction around this type of thing that would bring you 
closer to yourself um, and, and the best version of yourself, but specifically around the, the energy door being open around that to happen. Like it would be difficult for you to try and get that in the next year because next year is the year of order. So you're not going to be in the same cycle next year, whereas last year, 2022, was a year of creation. Last year was the beginning of a new cycle for you. This is the, the second year, and there's a reason why it goes in these orders, and I'll explain that because it prepares you for the years that are coming. Like one is creation, intention. What is it about? Two is about making sure that you're okay, your own health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. The third one, year three, is about being organized, order, taking stock of your life. Because the fourth year is about disruption and let go. So it's really good to be organized before things leave uh, or things have to shift. Because if you're not organized, it makes that step harder. And the year fours are synonymous for shifting and big changes in life usually happen in four years. Losses, job changes, house changes, having kids, not having kids, like that whole like intensity stuff happens within four years. Um, and also four is about truth. So four represents feminine truth, by the way. It's the feminine earth. It's a feminine earth number. Four. Eight is the masculine earth number. Okay. So eight and four have a duality on their own masculine feminine, uh, both earth elements, earth numbers, sorry. And the four will always bring you to your truth, whether you want it or not. Sometimes you struggle with it because you're fighting against it. But if you if you enter your surrender in peace at the end of a three by being organized and you've taken stock and you've done your due diligence and you're feeling okay, you can enter a four-year comfortably knowing that you can surrender in this year, knowing that you don't have to worry about trying to organize things because it's not going to be that year. It's going to be a year of let go and truth-seeking and you may get startled with what you may find five year of analytics and, and left brain and manifestation through that dimension, specifically around analyzing now what has transpired in the four year analysis, five, um, taking stock again of what does this mean for you in your life? And because one, two, three, four, and five are quite intense, the six years usually a year of entertainment and fun and more social and more physical plane energy um uh, it's a nice year you would naturally attract more social type of things and more things that would bring you into entertainment music food or what just the enjoyment of life really okay six and it's funny that you always say six was the mark of the beast or the triple six was the mark of the beast right but the six really represents the, the physical plane the earth plane and we are a part of that earth plane. It's our physical nature, our left-hand side. So on the chart of the Trinity, it goes like this. Nine, three, six. Okay, so that's what the Trinity mathematically represents. You in your spiritual form, your three, your higher self. You in your six, your physical human beast nature. And nine, the creator. That Trinity, if you understand that Trinity you will always forever be in balance because you know you're aware of both sides, but you also understand of the balance of it. And if you're in your own harmony and in your own flow, you don't feel that you need to be polarized at any point or to polarize something at any point or to overcorrect something at some point because you 
are in a in a in a, in your own orbit. You've entered your orbit. You're aware of what year you're in. You're aware of what energy space you hold, and you're aware of what may potentially the theme of the following year be. So don't try and do A if the energy is B. Yeah. Try to be more in sync with with with, with what the energy is giving out. Mm. So quickly for yours. So the first number, as you can see, is three. Now three is known as the organizer. As a very childlike energy, lots of energy, physical energy, very organized. Too many threes, and you could be OCD, right? <laughs> so threes just just known as the organizer. Very, very, very strong childlike personas, where they kind of remain the eternal child, also called the eternal child. So in other contexts, in numbers, three always had this association with this eternal child. Mm. And what, I'm going to jump to the last number. number. Eh? Is this my social number? It's your most public number. Yeah. Okay. It's your most obvious number. So when you enter a room or when you enter a space, the energy you give off by default is this three. Mm. To get things done, you will get things done. You're very organized and you make things happen. I'm going to jump to the last number because it's the same as the first number. The first position is your most public and the last position is your most private because that's the lesson number. Right? It's the, the lesson that we get to learn. So while you may be really good at organizing, the lesson that you get to learn is to also organize you. It's an internal organization. Your journey will always be about that. You organizing yourself. And literally the word organizing, because that's how your brain would function with it. To Like you would perform a task operationally in the day, for whatever you're trying to manifest, you would almost apply that same type of way with yourself on the inside mm -hmm. when you're doing your inner works. Mm -hmm. It's like a very organized system. And I think in understanding that, um, the, that number three, if you, and maybe you even, you even see it pop up all the time, because usually when we talk about numbers, people will say, oh, I always see this number or that number pop up for me all the time. Yeah, I've got a uh, thing with three. Yeah, so three is a, is a very strong number for you. And um, like I said, it also is a very upward. So three is vortex energies upwards. So it's the right-hand side. It's, it's an upward energy. Six is a downward energy. So it comes downward. So threes are a, a higher resonance number. And the reason mathematically, and I can send you a link on that later as well, but there's a reason mathematically why three, six, and nine belong together. I didn't put them in the Trinity for my own sake they belong there because mathematically the frequency of those numbers add up mm -hmm. so three's frequency is three six nine three six nine three six nine six's frequency is nine six three nine six three nine six three that's how you know one is up and one is down mm. and nine is a constant so nine times one is nine 18 is nine 27 is nine 36 yeah. is nine 45 is nine it's always nine whereas no other number does that it's the only number that behaves like that and you've got one of them, and I'll explain to you what nine is now. So nine is the most um, unique, I think, of all numbers because of that that I just explained to you now, and that's why to me it's simple, it symbolizes the the constant, and the constant I mean the creator is that we have to have a constant in our life as as creation, and that constant can only be the creator, right? Mm -hmm. So. Nine, if you have a nine in your in your code, 
it is it represents the whole. Nine represents the whole. One plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven plus eight is thirty-six, which is nine. So nine is the sum of the whole. The person who has a nine in their code, depending on where it is, and in your case, it's in the fourth position, which is that type of shifting block, the expression number, is that when you go through periods of change, difficulty, shifting, you automatically get a broader view on things in that time. So your lateral thought and your insight, uh, contextual insight comes when you're going through something. When something is shifting in your space is when you have more insight into something. Otherwise, you're, you're more organized and actually just fire and air if you look at your chart. Right? So you're very clever. So the more air you have, the more intellectually connected you are. So not short of anything of intellectual curiosity and, and mental aptitude, very strong. Um, but also enough fire to justify it. So your strengths are air and, air and fire, and water is low. So you would potentially crave water quite a bit because it creates the balance when there's too much air and fire. Okay? Makes because sense. as you know, if you put air and fire together, you can start a forest fire, right? Yeah. You can literally cause an uh, uncontrolled fire. So water is important in your space. And also earth is one, what earth is, earth is your, your, your grounding, your dependability, independence, like those things are in the earth, in the earth plane. Your one earth is a four, which is feminine. So you are not as grounded and you would have to perform things to keep yourself grounded. You would have to take physical steps to keep grounded. Yes. It's not an automatic grounding. Some people are automatically grounded and others are not. And this is the reason why. So somebody, for example, with a lot of earth, moving house is a catastrophe for them. It's really difficult for them to shift because they got a lot of earth. So shifting is like an earthquake for them. Whereas people with lesser earth, it's quite easy for them to up and change because they're not as grounded as, as, as somebody with more earth. So... In a, in, a, in a tip for you, and you probably know this already anyway, but sitting around, uh, like out, walking outside near water on barefoot is like, phew, phew. there's your balance. Almost right? every day. <laughs> yeah. And you would have to do that to remain yeah. in balance. Um, so let's move now to the second position, which is at home. Uh, so your more personal space is a one, and one is the creator leader energy. So it's the number one is the first number, it's creator energy creation energy, a leader or um, entrepreneurship, um, beginnings, um, creation, right? So you working from home is good for you because you activate your leadership qualities from this position. If you had to go traveling and try to do the same work, you would come more from an analytic, analytical, number five, the next one, it would be more analytical for you. It wouldn't be as leadership orientated where people come to you as a leader, a thought leader or guide or healer around a specific point. You are able to express that creation from home. Whereas outside of home in the five, that's more analytical, it's more left brain, it's more less, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, less fluffy. It's more 
down the line, left brain, let's keep this real. Um, one is also a mental number, uh, mind number, a, um, a number. Um, so you've got three, one, 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 five, one. Um, so interestingly enough, I think for you as well, you also work at your duality. Mm-hmm. Because you have a bias of energy and mind, strong mind and strong physical energy, without slowing yourself down to be more aware and conscious of your surrounding, I think you would just go and not necessarily see the road that you're walking and what you're walking on and who you're walking past and not stopping for a cup of coffee along the way or and the journey I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because ones and fives are just woof, get get it done. Yeah. With a three in the way, it's like just organizing, organizing, get things done, organizing, creating, get things done. So you have to instill in your life that type of, which I see you do anyway, you know, practices about meditation, mindfulness, mm-hmm. grounding, and those bring you back into your into your balance mm-hmm. while you still have the power to enact upon, upon the fire and air that you carry. The fourth position, like I said, this nine is this whole this represents the whole. So when you're in that position, you, you take a bit longer to make a decision because nines wait for as many views onto a topic as possible before concluding a decision on something. So when you're in that shifting period, your decision-making and choice-making is different. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit lengthier. It's a little bit deeper. And once you've convicted in, in the knowledge and the, whatever you're seeking, then you can enact that into 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 matter into manifestation. Otherwise, you will wait until that wheel looks full enough for you to trust the view that you're seeing on something. First nine years of your life, you were the charmer. You were the the the, the life of the party, the fun of the house, made everybody laugh. My son is a six now, and I can see it. Like anywhere he goes, he's just like the entertainer. And everyone just wants him to entertain them. He's just naturally this way. And people just lie. He's just got this wild energy. And um, laws of attraction work very strongly for six people where they just attract people. They just attract people. Like he'll go to a store. So please can I have a toy. They'll go find a toy for him. And wherever he goes, they'll give him something because he has this way. Like he can never say no to him. Interestingly, the second nine years of your life was a total opposite. It was quiet, it was introvert, it was truth-seeking, it was very feminine, mm-hmm. and uh, not as public um, in those years. And if you had to be out publicly, it wouldn't be as easy for you as it would have been when you were younger, and you would have noticed the difference, and your parents would have noticed the difference. Mm. And oftentimes, the parents, when there's a sudden shift without understanding, they assume there's something wrong. Mm. So even now, like as adults, if we if we suddenly change, like I changed and I went through my my shifting place and from nothingness and whatever, it was startling for people. My wife, my family, everybody was like, whoa, you're not the same person anymore. Who are you now? And normally that's associated with a negative that you've changed. But having a little bit of awareness and understanding about why that change is happening, and I saw it with mine now, they've changed between those ages, and you can see the difference in the energy Totally. And I remember being young and having different energies at different points in my life. And why could I not get back into that, into that space? 
And then I realized because that was a time when that energy was 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 there. Even though you can tap into all of your personas and with your type of work that you do in a child work, things like that, you can definitely connect to any any of these positions that you want. But for most people, they because they're disconnected from their whole person, they may not be able to call upon a number when it's in need. Okay, mm. so you've got a very well spread number balance, like one, five, four, nine, three, six. Some people only have like three numbers. Like, you know, some people have like less numbers in it. So this is a very unique configuration for you. The last number is the, um, I said the essence number. Again, so your soul, at a soul level, it's leadership, it's creation. It's not weak. It's not giving up. It's, you are, you are a leader. You have those qualities to lead. Um, and having a look at your code in terms of your journey, I would say the path that you're in is already proving that you are leading people towards something. Leader doesn't mean controller like a president or a, no. Mm -hmm. It means to lead, to guide, to teach. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately ones are really good teachers um, because their job is to lead. So it goes hand in hand, you know, with that energy and you've got enough physical energy to create. Uh, having three fire is really good because you could have three air and three air really smart, but no fire. That means you wouldn't have that energy to punch through. Yeah. To get it out into the main world. You know, I had a lot of patients who came, but I can't move forward in my life. Why not? Having a look and they're very deeply creative or deeply um, uh, um, intellectual, but are stuck. They can't get themselves known or out there. And I said, you've got no fire. So imagine fire, put a picture of fire on your desktop, go sit outside in a fire, but start imagining fire. And just the awareness of it will increase your energy. So they started doing that. And I got feedback from people like, it sounds stupid, Chuck, but I did that. I got a coaster that was a, a volcano and I used to put my water on it and just seeing it every day and picking up just that awareness changed how I felt. So a lot of this type of work is very subtle work. It's not like major transformations going to like psychologically, psychologically disrupt you. You know, it's just really simple awareness. Even the detox process is about awareness. Like how does your body break down rubbish and how does it path of removal? What is it about? And the minute you know how it works and you know the potential causes for something like that breaking down and you've taken care of those obvious ones, the chances are 70% that whatever that condition was would move away. Because as a holistic practitioner, as you know, we don't see the problem isolated to the origin. Mm. If the problem is if the person has a problem with the heart or the eye or whatever, it means the whole body is in trouble. It's not just one aspect of themselves. The host is in trouble. Yeah. That's why holistically when we treat, we look at that whole picture to see, you know, all very well to give you something to, to deal with the biological aspects of it. But there could be something deeper going on. And if we don't look into that, I could be giving you a lie. And you think everything is great. And then you go on with your journey and then boom, something happens down the line. So I would say like awareness is really, really important. Self-awareness, uh, bodily awareness, uh, alignment. Using, and it doesn't have to be the code. I mean, there's many different ways to go about what I've just explained to you now. And I'm sure you know there's many systems for that. So whether it's this or another one that you choose to, to, to work with, 
I think testing them out um, is important because it's easy to test um, based on who you are, based on what dates, what should you do, and you test it out and it works. I've done tests and done readings for people who are really highly in high positions at very uh, in big companies that do data science, for example. And I did that on purpose to see what was the accuracy of people who don't take any crap and are very honest about how they feel. Yeah. So I did that for that. I did it in HR. I did it for a recruitment company um, who, who was trying to change and, and change the way they look for people and, and, and connect people to clients, uh, employees, and all around. <laughs> All around the feedback that came back was like, it works really well. Like there was no funniness about it. And sometimes they would do it as a precursor to a, something that was about to happen and then review the report after it's happened, uh, not to disrupt it, to, to get in its way, but just to have a, a sideline report to see if what you were saying made sense to what was going on. Mm. And then down the line, the belief happened and then they integrated these things into their, into their, into their businesses and into their lives. So yeah, I mean, there's a, we can talk forever on that topic, but you've got a you've got a beautiful code. Thank you. It's very powerful, and I can obviously see why you are the way you are now, and what your strengths are, and how you express yourself, and very meticulous the order. It's very structured, and you, you, people can understand you, and, and and you reach the people. So I think you've got a really nice energy for the work that you do, and. Uh, I guess, like many, I'm sure, are very grateful that you do for what you do. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shad. I'm going to wrap us up there. I really appreciate your time and for sharing everything with us. I think that was a fascinating conversation. And I love how uh, broad your knowledge is and how it covers so many different aspects and like really encompasses that mind, body, soul aspect because that's what I'm all about and that's what I'm trying to share here on the podcast. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, as always, I would so appreciate if you shared it. Share it with your friends, your loved ones, share it on WhatsApp, on social media, give it a like, rate it on whichever platform you're listening. All of those things will help me with getting the podcast out to a broader audience. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my Instagram handle is at rain.dun or you can email me on rain at raindun.com.